welcome back to Mommy Ever After, the podcast. Tonight, I have a very special guest joining me. And this guest is special because he is our first guest. And this person is an incredibly important figure in my life. And without this person, I would not be here today. And so I would like to welcome my husband, Kenny Starr. Hey. Hello. All right. So I brought Kenny onto the show because I guess this really isn't a show. It's a podcast, but you know, I brought Kenny on with me um, because he has a very unique perspective. Obviously, when it comes to my story, he's the closest person to me and has seen it all, you know, the, the very good, the bad, and the, the very, very ugly. And some of the things that I haven't talked about publicly before, but will be in the book. So I wanted Kenny to have a chance to be able to speak, not just about my story, but because I think that his perspective and his experience will resonate with anyone who's been the family member or caregiver for somebody who's experienced any of these mental health conditions, specifically perinatal mood disorders like prenatal anxiety and depression and postpartum anxiety and depression. Um, Additionally, I was just interviewed last week for a magazine about the book. Am I, can can I say that? I think I can say that. Yeah, I don't see why not. Well, okay. Well, I didn't say what it was. But in any case, one of the things that they asked was um, about my support system and if I told anybody about how I felt and did anybody notice and things like that. And so there's a famous story in the little world of Mommy Ever After about how my postpartum was first recognized. And it was by my husband and maybe I'll let him tell the story, but it started out in the hospital actually after I gave birth to our son and we had a meeting with a social worker and she gave him some advice and I had failed the postpartum screening miserably and she kind of gave him some tips and I think that that planted a seed in his brain and so I'll let him tell you, um, as I've said before, I do these podcasts without any script with no framework in one take. And so he's working off the, you know, the same thing that I am, which is pure, genuine heart and, uh, no outline here. So, so Kenny, um, do you want to fill in the blanks in terms of our story starting with, you know, we gave birth to my, our son and I gave birth to our son and I was in the hospital and I was feeling okay after having not felt okay for nine months. And then the social worker came in and I'll turn it over to you. So. Well, the uh, social worker had told me to do reality checks with Becca, with you. And so, you know, after we got home with our second child, our son, and a little bit of time had passed. I continued to do reality checks and check in with you. And what were we, what what would you say these reality checks looked like? Like what was your? How advice? are you feeling? What's going on? Tell me how to be honest about what you're feeling. And 
let me just back up for a sec. What made you feel like you even had to check in? Like most people would think it's the birth of your child. It's magical. Oh my goodness. It's the best time in your life. Like why would you even think to check in if I was to see if I was okay? Because you were clearly not okay. How? Well, the famous story is I said that it looked like the lights were going out in your eyes. Um, you had the like the thousand yard stare of a soldier who'd been through combat or something like that. But and and that is the the famous story, so to speak. But before that, I'm really trying to get to the core of this so that people can a anybody who's suffering can tell their family members, you know can share this with their family members or anybody who is a family member or a member of the support team or treatment team or, you know, spouse can kind of anticipate and know what to look for. So in terms of warning signs, like, you know, we know the textbook warning signs, but before you saw the light go out in my eyes, what made you look for that? I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, I guess following the interview and knowing that I should be looking out for things and I should be doing reality checks. I was on a heightened state of alert, but you ask a tricky question because everybody's going to be different. I mean, there's, there is no textbook answer for what, you know, somebody who is, you know, a woman who's going through postpartum depression looks like, I think it's different for everybody, but being your spouse, having been with you for so long, I was able to tell that something was off, whether whether you want to call it a gut feeling or husband intuition or whatever. Um, you know, I was able to see that there was some distance in you. Uh, I mean, it staying in bed, um, just a a lack of engagement um, with not just me or, you know, our children, but with everybody, with yourself. Um, you know, it's so much of it is blended together from that time. But, you know, the there's just little bits and pieces that stand out that I can pull from. Do you have any specific memories that you want to share? Um, I'm talking like early days, not when it got really, really bad. It's really hard to remember specific points from the early days besides that text that I sent you about asking you if you were all right because of how you looked about your eyes. Um, I mean that, whether that is sticking out because we talk about it so much or you, or you have talked about it quite a bit. Um, and, you know, staying in bed during, um, you know, those early days during, uh, I wouldn't say events, but times when lots of family were over because we'd had a, a like new his baby. Bris. Like his bris, I guess, is a really good example. It's like uh, that's eight days after he's born. Yeah. It's Halloween. Yeah. I think that, okay, so first of all, you have not read the book yet. I have not. And so I think that your memory is has not been refreshed and it's, maybe this is something you don't access a lot. Um, and so I understand that these memories are kind of blending together in your mind. 
but something that's important to point out, I have two things that are important to point out from a mental health perspective. And, you know, obviously I'm not an expert, but I've been through it and I've done a lot of research. So the first thing is that the symptoms that you described, you know, like a general apathy, a distance, withdrawing, being tired, sleeping, maybe not being interested in the things that I was previously, you know, excited by you and the kids and things like that. And even you said myself, um, those are symptoms of like general depression. Those are symptoms that other people without postpartum depression, but just like those are the symptoms of depression. So that's just something that I'd like to note. And, uh, secondly, um, I think that it's really hard because you touched on something that I just want to kind of flesh out a little bit, which is that you said every woman's postpartum kind of presents differently. And after our daughter was born, you saw a very happy version of me, but I did have some baby blues, which is like, you know, part of the title of my book. And one of the questions that I was asked recently was, what's the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression? And I think that when you were saying about how every story kind of looks a little bit different, right? That's what you were saying? Yes. It's hard sometimes to determine whether someone is suffering from the baby blues or true diagnosable, you know, clinical postpartum depression. And I think that when I described the baby blues, I felt like with our daughter, as happy as I was, I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. I was so tired. And anyone who's like basically living their lives in two hour increments and not getting any sleep is going to be grumpy and tired and maybe like a little just down and overwhelmed. You know, I know that when I'm sleep deprived, I'll be more prone to like, you know, emotion, emotional moments. No. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed sleep that. Sleep deprived. I don't know. Regular, just anything. Okay, okay. But like, what I'm saying is, you're basically set up in a situation where you're forced to forced to have the the lovely pleasure of taking care of another human being. You can say forced. With, it's you okay know, to say forced. With very little sleep, you know, probably like not really taking care of yourself because you're taking care of another human life and they're completely dependent on you and it can be overwhelming. So I remember with our daughter feeling like, you know, you know, when you have like a really hard day and you're anticipating this like really hard day where, you know, you have like a zillion meetings and deadlines and like things that you just have to get through, but then you're done and you're like, ah, oh, I'm done. I can relax. I remember that feeling and then being like, oh my God, but it's going to start again in two hours. And so it's like being on a hamster wheel and then it passes. That's the, like, that's the thing. The beginning is like a blur. I don't really remember it that much with either of them because it just like, it just passes. I would say the hamster wheel doesn't pass. It just changes to a different hamster wheel. But like, it's, you know, it's, it's manageable. It, It no longer feels never ending. Like somebody told me, I remember this actually, somebody who had a baby six months older than our daughter was like, you're going to sleep again. And I was like, ugh. Never, but, uh, you know, we do. But the distinction between that and the postpartum depression was that nothing could really make me happy at that point. Um, I felt moments of, 
I felt a lot of love for our son. I loved seeing the kids together. I actually really loved seeing you as a father and how you embraced. I can picture you walking up the stairs holding both of our kids and how you embraced that. So I was able to feel those things. And fortunately for me, in terms of how my postpartum presented, this is going to sound like a very weird statement, but it never was something that affected my feelings for the kids and I never resented the, the children and I never wanted anything but to love them. Um, I say fortunately because I feel terrible that that is not always the case and that must be incredibly difficult and only add to the guilt that so many of us face when and feel and just are crushed by when we are not feeling as we're expected to feel or supposed to feel or, you know, um, in my case, all of the feelings of negativity and those bleak, dark feelings were focused on myself and my own life and feeling like my own life was not worth living. And so there was a dramatic difference in the level of sadness that I felt in my level of distress. I think in my, um, ability to kind of handle, like have any distress tolerance, I'd be set off so easily during that period of time. I was very volatile, which is not like me. And so that's how you can distinguish what for me between the, just like the baby blues and postpartum depression, which was this absolute like cloud over everything. And if you want to, you know, take a moment to continue on with our story, um, you know, things got pretty dark and things got pretty difficult and thank you as always. You were an incredible, supportive, amazing partner. Um, you know, we faced some things during that time, including our son had to be hospitalized the same day that I was supposed to be hospitalized for my postpartum because I was quite honestly a danger to myself. And, uh, that was probably not a very fun week for you. No. Spending an entire week in the hospital with my son. Um, our son had, uh, RSV and we spent like Christmas week. There's very few places that are more depressing than the children's ward of a hospital during Christmas week. Yes. So Moving on, anyway, so I got out of the acute postpartum, you know, I was no longer a danger to myself, but this has been a journey, and so as my rock, what can you share in terms of, you know, I don't want this to feel like an interview, because like, you know, I want you to be able to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but what do you think it's important to share in terms of A, being a support or being the you know main support system or the key to my like whole support system puzzle or team, and also how to take care of yourself during that time so that you don't you don't crack. Well, that's a. I mean, that's a really difficult question because, to be honest, it's the amount of stress that. A, situa- a situation like that puts on the primary care uh, caregiver is, I mean, it's tremendous. Uh, and I just remember 
trying to cope every day uh, and not really know, not really knowing how to do it. And I think that for anybody who's a caregiver facing a similar situation, whether it's postpartum or not, I mean, it could be anything else. Um, There has to be, you have to, if you're doing a reality check with your loved one, that means you have to be doing a reality check with yourself. Because if you're not doing a reality check with yourself, it's really easy to slip down the same slope that your loved one's slipping down. Whether Again, whether it's mental or physical health that we're talking about. Um, That's a really good point. And, it, you know, at that time I was seeking help for my anxiety and depression and saw a psychiatrist, psychologist, dietitian, doctor. Um, but, you know... And I started to see somebody for myself. And, you know, you got to be really careful as a caregiver because there are a lot of unhealthy outlets that you could go down. Um, You know, but fortunately, I was able to recognize that, hey, you know, I'm not feeling so well. I should probably seek help for myself so I can be the best me for my wife. And that's what I did. Um, so I would just encourage anybody who's in the same situation uh, that I was in to check in with themselves. And, you know, even if you, for men, especially there's this, this, Hey, we have to be big and strong and brave and bravado and this and that and tough and impenetrable. Yes. And, um, you know, you see that in so many ways. I mean, but I would say that if you're facing the same situation that I was facing, you got to throw that concept out the window and just say, hey, you know what? Some things are bigger than me and bigger than bravado and being tough. It's about being able to survive. And sometimes being tough does not mean you're going to be able to survive. Being smart means you're going to be able to survive. Um, being willing to ask for help. Like or I think, being willing to ask for help. You can't tread water for forever. You guys sometimes ask for, uh, you know, the life ring or whatever. So I think that when you were saying, you know, you can sometimes go down darker roads. I mean, I think that you, something like that you're talking about in terms of you maybe not caring for yourself and like self-care is such an important thing. And so the way that Maybe I have struggled with caring for myself, like making sure I'm fed, making sure I'm rested. You as a caregiver, when you're putting in time to make sure that I'm okay and that there's, you know, food in the house for me and that I'm getting the rest that I need. And then at the same time, taking care of a four-year-old and a newborn baby, there's very little time left for yourself. So I think that's really sound advice. Now... Just skipping ahead because – so we've talked about, you know, a little bit about the risk factors. Now, definitely about warning signs, um, treatment options, and your advice and your perspective. But I just want to touch briefly on the effect that this can have on marriage because I wrote a piece, um, I don't even know, like a year ago. That was a very honest piece, and it was hard to write because – there was um, Hayden Panettiere has been a pretty vocal spokeswoman for postpartum depression and admitting that she suffered from it. And she was spotted on a stoop. Um, I actually have no idea if there's an update to this, but she was spotted on a stoop 
um, without her wedding ring on. And so people were speculating about the status of her marriage. And this kind of inspired me to open up about how postpartum depression has a silent casualty, which can be marriage because the metaphor that I used in this post was that, you know, you basically go to hell and back with somebody. And I hope that 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 metaphor doesn't offend anyone, but, um, the way that I thought about it in my head was that, you know, when we were down there, the very, very, very bottom, you took off your jacket and covered me with your jacket so that I wouldn't get burnt. And you shielded me from all of that, but that meant that you didn't have a jacket and you got burned. And so we managed to crawl our way out of, out of hell basically. And we may have spent time in in purgatory or in limbo, but we still, and you know, you can't leave hell without smelling like hell. You know, when you're, you're, uh, in a place that's dark and fiery, you still, you kind of have that on you and you can't get it off of you unless you work really hard and we've worked really hard. And I think that this did have an effect on our marriage. Um, but ultimately for the, the better. And I don't know if you want to say anything about that. I don't know if I just set myself (laughs) up, but, um, you know, are you asking me a question there? No, but I'm saying like basically, so fast forwarding to today, do you have any insight or tips or anything that you want to say about, you know, marriage post postpartum or, you know, um, well, I would say that it's really important. Uh, I mean, this sounds like so cliche, but it's like really important to make time for one another. Um, you know, you spend so much time and make time for one another in a good way, not in a bad way. I mean, I think, you know, you spend so much time. <laughs> be in, really messed up to make time for one another in a bad way. That would be west, messed up. Uh, but make like, let's make time to yell at each other. Yes. Let's, we're let's set up times that we're, let's like set up time to criticize each other. We, that would be, yeah. No, is that I like meant, what the Hunger Games is about? No, that's actually completely not. Okay. At anyway. all. Wow. Um, <laughs> The no, what I'm saying is that post postpartum, you are focusing on picking up the pieces, you are focusing on being a parent, you're focusing on being a, a, a either a member of the workforce, an entrepreneur, a writer, um, all kinds of things. You're focusing on having your own life, and in all of that, you can forget. Whoop, I'm married, we're married, you know, this person I wake up next to every morning and go to sleep to every night, you know, this is my wife or my husband, I love them, we are in this together, and you gotta, like, gotta have romance, that's what I'm talking about, you gotta have romance and all that cliched lovey-dovey stuff, which isn't actually cliched, it's real. So, if I'm getting what you're saying, it's like you... Like they, like you're saying that they say you have to make time for, you can't just kind of uh, rest on your laurels in yes. your marriage. Yes. You have to make time for it as as if it's its own entity. Like the way that you care for a child or you care for yourself, you have to care for your marriage. I would say that's accurate. I would also say you should probably read the Hunger Games because you have <laughs> no idea what it's about. No, this is my second Hunger Games faux pas. We don't need to talk about the first one, which okay. was really horrible. I don't want to even know about it. 
you know about it. You're the one who told me about it when I thought about watching it. I suggested it as a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. but anyway, um, I think my question for you is, you can feel free to turn this back on me, but what is it like to live with someone who has a mental health issue? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's... Um... Well, I don't know how many people in your audience are car people, but I like to do things, I like to frame things in car metaphors, and um, if everybody, you know, if you get into a Japanese car, and like a Toyota or a Honda, you're going to turn the key, you know the car is going to turn on. And it's going to be reliable, and it's going to get you from point A to point B. It's going to have good gas mileage. The you know blah blah blah. Being in a relationship with somebody who has mental health issues is like owning a classic Italian exotic car. Like uh, a Bugatti? No, uh, not a Bugatti. That's even that's too exotic. I'm talking about like an Alfa Romeo. Or a Fiat, or a Lancia, like some, or you okay. Know, let's let's. Sorry, I can get lost in car metaphors. Yeah. So you have this beautiful car, uh, aesthetically beautiful. Why? Thank um, you. And powerful, sounds great, um, but maybe doesn't get you down the road from point A to point B without having some hiccups along the way. Uh, but at the end of the day, those hiccups are manageable. Uh, usually not catastrophic and um, just on the price of your side to fix if anything. So like if we're going with this metaphor, which I'm sure my primary demographic um, is made up of avid car enthusiasts, but um, like buckle your seatbelt and make sure that the oil is filled and the gas tank is filled and that, you know, the car has all like those things that are like blue that you pour into them and you know like every, what, what is blue so windshield wiper like, fluid things that so the lights don't turn on like trying to cope ahead i'm trying to bring your metaphor back around so like yes. trying to cope ahead um so but it's be exciting prepared because but, uh, but you not, never know what's gonna happen okay but it's not always not a bumpy a road way. because like if you get on a long road that's you know a clear day and it's a beautiful stretch. It's the greatest experience of your life. Huh. That's very kind. And I love you. I love you. Okay, and so... And I love cars. So, to... And you don't love the Hunger Games. To wrap things up, um, what advice would you give to Kenny... Um, I don't remember how old you are, but like 2013 Kenny... Or to anybody experiencing this, whether it's a a partner of some sort, a friend, a parent, a caregiver, and you see them either pregnant and not seeming like exactly, you know, she's not like herself or after having a baby and she's not like herself, what advice would you give? I mean, first things first is seek help. Don't try and struggle yes. through this alone you could don't like try and be a hero and 
think you can do things on your own. Nobody's a hero by themselves. Uh, you know, everybody has a support system. Everybody. Takes a village. Well, Batman has Robin. So you mean seek help, not just for yourself, but I mean, like, recruit help. Like, I, I think that you guys recruited help for me, if I, yes. I, I don't remember. No matter what it takes, recruiting help, seeking help, however, just get help. And while the baby blues are normal and to be expected, and some degree of anxiety is absolutely normal, and that means statistically average, and to be expected during pregnancy and after, because of all the things we talked about, you kind of have to go with your gut. And worst case scenario, I mean, let's say you think that your loved one, your wife is experiencing some prenatal anxiety, depression, or postpartum depression. Worst case scenario, you bring her in for an evaluation and the person says like, you know, she's okay. It's like, this is kind of normal baby blues. She may say like, that was annoying, you know, buy me a chai latte. And if, if that's, the worst if that's her state problems, of mind, exactly. Yeah. If that's her state of mind, then she's really not suffering. So basically maybe you'll be a little bit like hoverish and it could be annoying. But if it, like you said, if that's the worst of it, so you're like, I would say err on the side of caution. Um, you don't at the same time have to live holding your breath. No. Um, it, it's pretty clear. I mean, I, I would say it's pretty apparent when someone's really suffering. Yes. So, well, thank you for everything that you've done for me for the past 12 years you're and welcome. for the past you know, four years. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and thank you for talking tonight because I really do think that your perspective is going to help a lot of people. The caregivers don't really get much of a voice and, I think that this is a good, really good outlet for you to be able to share. Um, any final thoughts? No, I think uh, I think we covered it at all. Uh, just you know, don't listen to Becca when it comes to Hunger Games related trivia. And um, on a serious note, uh, you know, postpartum depression is uh, insidious disease like any other physical illness, and um, like Becca said, don't have anxiety about it and don't run around holding your breath, but just be aware that it's out there. And if you start, if you see something, say something like on Amtrak. Exactly. Thank you. It's really helpful. Let's go make time to have a negative experience with each other. Yes. All right. Let's go fight. Okay. Well, thank you once again for listening. I hope that this was helpful and I look forward to speaking with you um, and making some time for some positive experiences soon. Be well, reach out if you need anything, and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, bye.